welcome to Fugitive Voices, a podcast about books and writers of the new millennium. I'm Pinkney Benedict, a writer and a developmental editor for the press, and my co-host is April Ford, SFK's associate publisher. And here we go. Welcome to Fugitive Voices, a podcast about uh, writers and books of the 21st century, the new millennium. Uh, I'm Pinkney Benedict. And I'm April Ford. And today we are here with the book designer extraordinaire for SFK Press, Olivia Kroon. Now, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Because this is a thing on this show. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. We 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 actually. Uh, that's a little disappointing because usually there's a lot of wrangling and uh, uh, yeah. and you know and recriminations and tears about uh, about the name so the fact that the fact that we hit it first shot out of the box is is kind of uh, kind of hard to hard to countenance i don't know where to go from here that's usually <laughs> half the podcast yeah it's just try to figure out you know what everybody's name is so um well i would say that of everyone at sfk olivia you are probably the person i speak most with on a daily weekly basis um Want to tell everyone what you do for us? <laughs> uh, I am a cover designer for SFK Press, so I get to read design briefs that April and Steve and the authors have all put together and then give books faces, basically. It's a really it, cool job. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a cool job. And, and I, I, I went to your webpage, and, of course, I've seen your work on the uh, – the uh, SFK books that I've I've seen, but but and you do beautiful work. I mean, they're really wonderful. Can you give us uh, uh, your website so folks maybe even while they're listening to the podcast can go and peruse the covers that you've done? Oh sure. So it's Olivia M. Croom. Should I spell it out? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's O L I V I A. M, that's M as in Mike, C-R-O-O-M dot com. And is that to distinguish you from Olivia Croom, the dentist? It does. Yeah, yeah, because when I typed in Olivia Croom, I was like, oh, (laughs) I didn't know she was a dentist. Uh, But yeah, like you come up and then every other Olivia Croom, apparently, and I don't know if it's one person or many, uh, but all the other Olivia Crooms are dentists. I, I've seen that, and I believe the one that pops up before my name is a dentist in Detroit. So it's like she could not be further removed <laughs> from my particular path. It was really, it's really funny. We poke each other on LinkedIn every once in a while. Oh. <laughs> well, no, I'm not a dentist. No one wants me to do that for them. Yeah, well, I mean, nobody even wants their dentist to do it for them, but we're sort of driven to it. Uh, there's, there's, there's no choice. My apologies to all the dentists. I'm sure we have a large uh, dentist demographic tuning in to fugitive voices, uh, and and I apologize. That was cheap dentist humor, and I will I will not do that again. Well, so now you said that you get um from April and. Uh, from Steve, whose whose last name is is still a mystery to those of us on the podcast, uh, the big man was is how we know him, and uh, from the writers, you get a what did you describe the, what what you get from them? What's the term? I, what's the professional term for it? 
A design brief. Design brief. Now, see, this is, you know, we, we're hoping that many of the folks who, who listen to this podcast, besides the dentists, are, uh, you know, are, are, are writers, you know, and folks who, folks who are hopeful, you know, that they'll, they'll publish books and that kind of thing. And I, I've actually published books and I've never heard of a design brief. So I'm, I'm excited to find out how this whole process works. And I've got the two people in front of me who could actually describe that. It's, it's thrilling. Uh, so I think SFK has one of the most uh, efficient cover design processes. Um, and so I've worked, like I work with a lot of independent authors. Um, my day job is with Knopf at Penguin Random House um, in the cover art department. So I've seen a very wide range of processes. And I would say that SFK's design brief and i'll explain what that is in a minute but this tool that april i think came up with um and that we've refined through a few different um cover designs at this point really just makes the whole thing move really well um and basically what the design brief is is um it kind of describes what is going to happen in the cover design process which at sfk is um, I will read through the questions that the author and April and Seaball answer on this worksheet, essentially, and then come up with cover concepts. So I usually present anywhere from three to five totally original concepts for how the cover is going to look. Um, and uh, it can be more. I think there's what I did recently where there were nine or something. There were ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten, like ten. <laughs> ones um and the the concept covers are not polished um they're they really are general roadmaps they're like is this sort of what you're looking for publisher and author for this particular book um but some of the questions that we ask um on that cover design sheet have to do with um if first and foremost does the author already have an idea that's by far like the biggest question. Like, do you, do you already have your heart set on one particular image um, or even one particular type of book cover? It's like, are you someone who just loves like McCarthy covers? And so it's like you want it to look like his books, um, you know, or anything like that. Uh, so or maybe they already have art from a family member or a friend or just something they really love that they've bought the rights to. Um, like they might have that. So it's really important for me as the designer to know that. Um, and other questions involve the other, like really, really important question for me is asking the author to show me three covers, uh, that they love that are in the same genre as the book I'm designing for and three books they hate and tell me why I need to know like what is aesthetically offensive or pleasing, um, when it comes to books um, and it just really helps. Uh, it helps me know exactly what kind of thing I'm going into uh, as soon as the design process starts. And it helps uh, lower surprises, which is generally better for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. No, this. And so, so how extensive is the is the questionnaire? And what? And and you, you've given us some of the questions. Are there are there others that are particularly you know, definitive or, or, you know, that, 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 you know, really, really, you know, push you, uh, in the, in the process? Uh, let's see. Um, I really love when the authors put passages down. One of the questions is saying, what is a passage that you think 
really informs um, the direction that the cover should go. Um, and that's always really helpful for me because, I, I mean, I do not live uh, in a perfect world. I cannot read all these books sure, of course. I design. So to have the author, which I find just really, there's something just real special about that, asking an author, like, tell me the definitive visual passage. And, 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 right. And so do they, they usually then come up with, with you know, concrete images, uh, you know, that sort of thing? Or, what, do they, or do they, what, what sorts of things do you get in response to that question? In response to that question, it's usually like a very key passage from the book. So there is usually like a really strong visual. So um, like on Banshee of McRae, did I say that right? Okay. (laughs) Banshee of McRae, it's it's this idea of a particular type of bridge, um, a particular type of covered bridge that's um, over a body of water. Um, And the idea of um, what this ghost that's featured in that book looks like and those two images like the passage and all that 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 helped give me a really strong idea when I started doing photo research um for that book cover it's like okay I have a really good idea of what I need here um another one another person who did a really good job was the author for a curious matter of men with wings Rutledge right yeah yeah, he did a fantastic job on his brief. Um, you know, he was really, um, I love bullet points. I love when authors are just like, here are things I like and here are things I don't like and we're perfect. So he he specifically called out images, and I think they were off of stationery or posters. They weren't necessarily book covers um, of animals made up out of branches, mm-hmm. like th- that kind oh. of illustration. Um, and so that really informed uh, my approach to that book cover. Um, as, and what was particularly funny about that cover was I already had that branch, the um, the image of a man's face made up from branches. I already had that. And it was in a folder called Unused Cool Stuff that I keep <laughs> on my and so those briefs give me an opportunity to take in what the author wants, both just as text and also the visuals that they like. And then I can kind of move forward and say, like, what do I already have in my toy chest? And also, what do I need to be looking for when I start doing photo research? And so so here, tales out of school, because since since it's just you and me, Olivia, and and no one else you can confide. So are there ever uh, large differences between, say, the 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 brief that you get, the cover brief that you get from the the publishing types and the and the cover brief that you get from the writer or there? Do they ever pull you in different directions or is, is there always perfect accord? Oh, perfect accord. Always. I get to read every book before I design it. And there's always a chord between everybody involved. That's good to hear. Yeah. So we do live in a, in a perfect world. I'm, I'm, I'm gratified to hear that because I've been feeling (laughs) gloomy lately, I have to admit. And and you've, you've taken all of that away, Olivia. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, But like in all seriousness, um, with SFK, it's really nice because this cover brief gives the editor and the publisher an opportunity to see what the author's thinking before I'm ever involved, um, which is terrific. That really, like, I uh, I actually took not that exact worksheet, but like the idea of it. I was talking um, to uh, someone at my day job uh, at Knopf 
which doesn't use that kind of system. They just kind of let designers go nuts for that first kind of concept round. Um, and they were just like blown away. They're like, oh, this would help so much with certain authors or like certain editors or whatever. Like it would be a useful tool. And I was like, how has nobody thought of this before? <laughs> um, this is the genius that is April. Take a yeah, bow, actually, April. I need to just hop in here. The genius began with Steve McCondishy. Dishy, oh no, now now I'm pronouncing it differently yeah, yeah, than yeah. last time. <laughs> um, yep. He, never, it's a question that cannot be answered. Right. He's the originator of the cover brief. My addition when I came on board was to include at the beginning the sort of breakdown to the author of what the process is like so that the author understands how many, how much input he or she has and at which stages and sort of what to expect. And Because I think it's important uh, for the author to understand that they don't have complete control, um, but that they do have input in something that they may, you know, and Olivia, you're very good about... Um, communicating this back to us to relate to authors it could be this this concept that an author has that looks great on tv but does not translate well graphically into a two-dimensional platform you know or just colors i mean if you're not a graphic designer i'm technically trained not my, not artistic i'm not very artistic but i'm very technically trained so i at least understand um the you know when something really doesn't work but beyond that the sort of the beauty and the vision of it um that is completely olivia's like she will tell me because i'll think something will work and olivia will tell me like well you know let's let's maybe try something else and so the authors they just need to know where where they have been putting where we can't also expense to like we can't really afford to do 12 rounds at some point the publisher does in the imperfect world we do have to put our foot down and say okay so it's this concept or that concept little room to maybe change the font or the placement of the author name but otherwise well i mean but this is you know i've I've had four books <laughs> and this is a process i've never been through anything right. like this uh uh i mean uh, uh, you know I've, they're uh, they're they've come up with covers um well mm, you know, I've liked some covers and other covers. Like, you know, there are two of the covers, two of my books, uh, you know, have actually been photographs that I was involved with. You know, the, the um, you know, not exactly personal photographs, but but photographs that had connection to me and that were taken by friends of mine and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But those were both with smaller presses. But with you know, with Doubleday, for instance, I was just not part of the. I was just not part of the process. That's so interesting. It, it just varies so much, it seems, book by book and, and publisher by publisher. Because um, sometimes uh, you get these situations where authors do get to see just many, many, many options. And other times where the publisher just decides, here's here's one. Yep. Here's no, that's one. that's I've, I've never been offered a choice. So I'm oh. well. So can I uh, April uh, sort, of, sort of aside, but can I get a copy of the um, of the of the brief? Because uh, oh, sure. I would love to have my students do that. My graduate students for the projects they're working on. I'd love to have them start thinking of them as books. Right. And, you know, and begin to think about what would you know, what would that you know, what would the cover look like? And and I, I would I would love to uh, I would love to, to be able to hand that out to them and, and just get them to do that one one afternoon. Uh, and, and see what they come up with. I, I, I like the idea that they begin to think of these things not as something they're doing for graduate school, but that, you know, that, that this will eventually be a book that will have a cover. Um, yes. and, and I would be really interested to 
uh, hear about how that exercise goes um, because one, uh, I don't want to call it a pitfall, but one kind Please. of um, re, uh, kind of a reorienting of thought that we sometimes have to do with the authors is that they'll pick they'll pick books that they like. And they're not. They're talking about the story, or they're talking right, about the right, books, right. but not the cover. Not the cover. Um, okay. And I think for writers, um, that's an incredibly natural thing. It's like, oh, well, these are my favorite books of all time, and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> You're so like, heartless, what, Olivia. I know. I'm like, what covers do you love? You can hate the book. You don't even need to have read the book. Like, what covers do you love? Yeah. Um, and it can be. Uh, a really, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation whenever that happens, um, where, and not just at SFK, but with any author who's still um, just wading into this whole thing. Wow. Okay. Well, great. Yeah. Well, that that'll be that'll be a really a really fun exercise, and I've I've um, um, I've anticipated I would learn a great deal this afternoon because this is completely out of my. Uh, out of my wheelhouse, but but I'm I'm learning a lot about the about the process. Thank you. Um, one thing April said uh, made me think of uh, something else that I always uh, that's always an interesting conversation with authors or publishers um, that are particularly just getting started, and it's the difference between a book designer, um, an interior book designer, versus an illustrator or a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, Often when I'm very first hired, um, you know, authors can have these ideas that basically amount to like, here's the photo shoot that I want you to do for my book cover. Or like, here's the illustration I want you to make for my book cover. And that's always sort of a delicate conversation. Like, that's not what I do as a cover. Like, sometimes I do illustrate. Um, Sometimes I do, or I do a totally typographic cover. So... In some cases, I am creating what constitutes the artwork, but more often than not, um, I'm tracking images down that I think will work for a book cover, and then I'm turning that into a book cover. So, so like from a you know Getty Images or you know or someplace like that. Absolutely, yeah. Getty, um, uh, Adobe Stock uh, actually has really good stuff. They're they're the newest on the scene, um, but yes, like iStock, uh, Shutterstock, um, Adobe, like all of, I will often go to them looking for illustrations, photographs, um, all sorts of things. I can get just about anything I need. And then there's a few uh, sites that offer images for free uh, where the artist has just released rights um, and I can, and I can use those. Um, But yeah, a big part of my job um, might be generating artwork but more often than not the biggest is finding it um which is why those questions on that um on the design brief are so important like i need a sense of the author's aesthetic and like what the author wants or the and the publisher wants um so that when i'm out there looking around i'm not just pulling something out of left field (laughs) And and so, you know, maybe I'm I'm going too far back, and I and you all know more about this subject than I do. So, just substitute your own question for mine. But you, April talked about her training. What what? So I, I guess I would ask you both. Like, what is so? What is the training for for this job? Like, what do you what do you do? What do you study in school? Who do you you know? How do you how do you make yourself into a designer? 
April. Well, you're the designer, so why don't you go first? I'm the was once aspiring designer, <laughs> gave up, <laughs> took my technical training, and became a writer. So, <laughs> um, so I had a bit of a roundabout uh, path getting into this. I was an English major uh, in college uh, on the creative writing track. Um, oh, which I, well, there we go. I look back, it's sort of like fun, funny on a different level because I completely lost interest in writing sophomore year. Um, but I stayed with the, I stayed with that major because I figured out that I liked the publishing side. Um, I liked being involved in the literary magazines and the presses that were on campus. And I only had access to those as long as I was an English major. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was always sort of funny, um, but I stayed with that, and then my master's is in book publishing. Um, so and I, and where where do you get a master's in book publishing? Is that is that a widely available discipline or not in the United States? Um, I got mine from Portland State University out in Oregon, um, and theirs is still the most unique setup uh, in the United States because they have a press, they have Ooligan Press which is fully staffed by grad students um, that are in the program. It's a fully functioning trade publisher. Um, That's great. That's an amazing opportunity. It it really is. You're getting this internship uh, opportunity that that doesn't really exist. It's completely integrated with the program. So uh, going there, I figured out um, that I definitely wanted to be on the design side, but that I also had an interest kind of in the project management side of book publishing, which um, manifests in kind of different ways within the industry. Um, Some of the other programs in the country that are maybe a bit more well-known are the Columbia Publishing Course, um, which is a six-week intensive um, in New York, and then NYU also has one. Yeah, I have a um, friend, uh, Adrian Brodeur, who took the uh, the Columbia course. Yes, and those, I mean, uh, the, another one that's like that is the Denver Publishing Institute. Um, I believe that's what it's called. Uh, and those programs are really great, too. And if I had... If I had known I wanted to end up in New York, that was not for sure, Like, or really, I maybe actively disliked New York when I first started my grad program. Um, uh, If I had known that I wanted to end up here, like I would have recommended uh, or I recommend to students now who want to live in New York at some point, go to the Columbia or NYU. Um, The the two year masters is great. Like you're going to get an intensity and like a depth of knowledge that doesn't exist. um, Well, you're right in the belly of the beast, right? I mean, if you, you know, if you want to deal with publishing, Manhattan's kind of where you got to be. Exactly, and um, and and the and the two year masters at Portland State, like it, those opportunities are amazing. Portland has a lot of small presses, like they're seen. I've never encountered anything else like it. There are literally hundreds of small presses that are often being run out of people's kitchens and attics. Um, yeah, that comports with yeah with with what I think of when I think of Portland. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that DIY culture, and they've got the Independent Publishing Resource Center, like right there. What and you can, I mean, there's just there's lots and lots of opportunities in Portland. But yes, if you want to work in corporate publishing, Manhattan, New York, like that's right. that's where you need to be to get a job, and that's where I ended up going in order to get a job and to kind of you know get out of Dodge and go do something new. 
um, after Portland. But yes, yeah, so I was on the, the design track um, in that master's program. This is a very long way to answer the question. But basically, if you want to be a cover designer, you do need to be very proficient in design and Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really the two programs that you need to totally master um, in order to really get ahead uh, in this particular field. Um, I'm only just now getting through a graphic design certificate. Um, and it's really helpful because it's giving me uh, like a technical depth. Um, I'm one of those people that the Adobe suite is completely intuitive. I can mm-hmm. open just about any creative suite program and be able to use it immediately. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I've been able to get away without like a full graphic design degree or anything until, until now. Um, but if, if I was giving advice to just anybody who's in a flexible position, learning in design and Photoshop or where, where you should start, if you want to get into this. Great. That's, that's, that's really useful. And so, and, but that's just how it all happens now, I guess, is, is the, the collation of images. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, this is, this is all, this is all new to me. Where, where were you educated, April? Where, where, where what is your design background? Well, it's, I really enjoyed listening to your trajectory, Olivia, because it's like you and I were just mirrors in, in our paths, like just opposite reflections. Um, so I started out, I avoided being a writer for as long as I could, even though that was like the current that was always pulling. Um, and so I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer, um, and I did. But um, So I, I did a program here in Montreal, a one-year intensive um, degree. It's like year long there's basically three semesters and it's like august to august um this is back in 2000 to 2001 and um it was in multimedia it was in graphic design for multimedia because at the time i don't know if you can all remember in 2001 this the cd-rom was a big thing the interactive cd-rom where you communicate with websites and there was coding you could do with macromedia director and so i was more of a coder and programmer actually um and then I, I graduated, and I had a small multimedia company that I ran for a while, and I realized that I enjoyed the project management part of it more than the kind of design part. And uh, and then I, like, handed over the company to uh, this video programmer who was just, he had a better vision. That's kind of the thing that I always lacked was, like, the artistic vision, the kind of, I mean, I can work in Photoshop, give me an image, I can retouch it, I can... I can do stuff with stuff that already exists, but creating things from scratch or coming up with concepts, like, that's just not in my my periphery. Um, so I sort of just abandoned that uh, plan and, and focused on writing uh, by 2002, but I just kind of kept up with um, the the graphic design elements. One of my early professors in professional writing had said, and this is, this is back in the day when using bubbles and track changes was like, woo, really exciting as an editor. <laughs> and so um, he said, it, he said, you know, it's just going to become more and more necessary as a writer and as an editor to to do your own graphic work. So I just kept at it and sort of kept up with Adobe. Like Olivia said, that's the interface is beautiful on Adobe. Um, and they do it, they make it like that so that you open one application and the interface, the toolbars, the menus, things are kind of in the same place. Um, and uh, so I just, the more I got involved as a writer and an editor, the more I needed the skills of InDesign and Photoshop. I hate Illustrator, for example, can't use that to save my life. Like there's some stuff I just stay away from and that's where I, like, I just don't, have that way of thinking to be like a designer so the 
but the tech, book layout, interior layout, I kind of bounce off Olivia, which I love. So once she gets a cover concept going, and we've more or less decided this is what the final is going to be, then I get to ask her the question of the day, which is <laughs> which font on the inside would complement the cover typeface that you're using. And then I just basically, technically, I, I lay out the interior. There's some designy aspects of it, but I really, I really take from what Olivia's done. Like without her vision, I don't have a vision for the interior. So it's very symbiotic. Well, no, it sounds like a remarkable partnership, and, and I mean, it, it accounts for why SFK's books are good looking. I mean, they, you know, they really are. You know, I mean, they really are extraordinary looking books. Um, and uh, uh, and that that I I understand that better now because it, that that the simpatico between the two of you seems seems remarkable. I mean, it really, and and it really really healthy for the for the the press and for the for the way the books turn out. I really do hope folks are are on your website right now, Olivia, looking at these at these designs as we as we talk about them. And and have you have you designed all of the uh, SFK titles so far? Uh, except for the first one, um, Lying for a Living. Um, and I can't remember if Steve ever told me who did that one. Um, but since then, yes, like all the catalog, which is sort of extraordinary. That's a lot of books. Now. Yeah, no, it's a lot of it's a lot of books. Um, that, no, that's uh, uh, that 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 really is that really is extraordinary. That's neat. So what time? You, um, no, please. Okay, uh, this was um, just a, a question about some of the. So we've done reprints of George Weinstein's novels, right? We've given them second lives. So Olivia, you, how, what, what's that experience been like of working with an author who's had one cover and now is taking that same book and you're you're creating another cover for it? Yeah, that that is always uh, a tricky one. That comes up in my day job too. Um, yeah. uh, it really it varies a lot depending on the author. Um, the, I think the main the, the most it's funny that the most difficult part of that process I think is when you have an author who really loved the first iteration, mm-hmm. like that first cover just hit every point. The author loves it, but it's like for whatever reason, and there are many now it's being redone, and so you as a designer have to kind of actively push away from that other design because you don't want it being compared mm-hmm. um, or you don't want it looking like it played off of it too much, but you also need to keep the author happy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, that that cover design brief is often the most helpful. Um, so one of the other questions that on that's on it is uh, what are some key images? Like, what are some images? Um, what are some Im- images that I should investigate as a designer? What are ones I should stay away from? Mm-hmm. Um, those are two other like really really important questions. So, uh, latching on to something else, and I and I am inclined to always go opposite. Like, if I'm redesigning a cover, I want something that is in the absolute opposite direction. So, if there was a heavily illustrated. Um, cover with like custom hand lettering and you know just something maybe ornate or just very very custom i'm inclined to go the other direction and do like very simple typography like on a solid color plane um you know that's i think those help balance it out because the the other thing to keep in mind 
uh, that ever that everyone in this process has to keep in mind is that that other cover never goes away. Um, in the age of the internet, like when someone searches for your book, like that cover is going to show up, and there is nothing anybody can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as a designer, it's really really important that the covers not like not clash, but also just not look too similar or just they each need to be doing their own unique thing and they each need to be representing the book uh in a maybe a completely different way Uh, wow no that's that's these are all considerations that have just been you know above my above my head all these years i just sort of assumed that there was a a factory and that you pushed a button and and a and a book cover Came out of it. Although I, my my novel Dogs of God has a uh, the uh, hardback had a really I, I think I don't think it helped sales because it had a really unprepossessing picture of a snarling dog on it, and uh, uh, and uh, the the apparently the photographer I guess who who took the picture sort of you know teased his neighbor's dog until it finally went for him and then he snapped oh. the he snapped the picture and. Uh, uh, so I, I, I like the fact that that there was actually blood involved in, in the in the making of my cover. Do you do you tease animals uh, to get your covers, Olivia? Do you uh, ever no. do you ever torment an animal to to try to get just the right image? No, um, I get a lot of paper cuts. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So there's blood. There's, it's, it's, it's just it's just really important that that there that there uh, that there should be blood involved. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may not feel that way. <laughs> no, I, I well, yeah, we Canadians are a little gentler uh, in our in our yeah. paper cutting. Uh, like you know? Beans on toast involved. <laughs> what? Beans I mean, on I, toast? Don't you eat beans on toast? Isn't that a Canadian a, thing? Um, I, yeah, I don't. Uh, back back bacon. <laughs> okay, poutine. <laughs> well, I don't forget. I live in Montreal, which right, is right, right, right. That's an yeah. The beans on toast is probably pretty, pretty uh, anglophone uh, type stuff. I would think. Yeah, That's, like we're just northern in, in kind of like more rural farmish kind of areas. So yeah, it's poutine and gin here in Montreal. <laughs> okay, well, poutine and gin—that you know—that's breakfast <laughs> of champions, baby. Uh, I, I've actually only heard about poutine. I've never, I've never had, seen, or smelled poutine. Well, How about you, Olivia? Big, big poutine fan. Uh, no, I just encountered poutine for the first time when uh, I visited Toronto two summers ago. Uh-huh. Uh, we went to what amounted to a Canadian state fair, and I didn't even realize Canada had these sorts of things. It was like the food. <laughs> there was just like extraordinary it was just and and it was huge like the food court was gigantic and there were like four or five different poutine options yep um it was it was really interesting (laughs) which one did you have did you uh, or did you did you only encounter it from a distance um i there was only one vegetarian option of it there was only one that didn't have like i think beef in the like in the base of it so i did i did the vegetarian option um i haven't tried to make it at home if that uh, answers your question it's a pretty i mean it's meant to make you feel just awful after you've eaten it i mean if you're gonna have like real down home poutine 
for sure. You don't feel good afterward. You, you, your blood pressure just goes up, and you know that life is death is imminent. So, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> now, see, you know, I get all this crap about wanting blood involved with my covers, and you're actually advocating <laughs> a food that kills you. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, it's cold up here. We need to keep the, you know, we're like seals. We need to keep on the, the fat, the blubber to get through the winters here. And hope it's in yeah, the there's, a, there's a lot of, we, we do a lot of Canada talk. I think we're, we're actually going to, we're actually going to retitle uh, Fugitive Voices <laughs> Canada Talk because uh, we, 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 we do a lot of, we do a lot of discussion of Canadian culture. I'm learning about that, too. Yeah. Uh, soon, soon I will be able to, to pass for a, for a Canadian native. I feel, right. I feel I feel confident. Uh, or Quebecois like Emery. I remember a while yeah, back. Yeah. Well, that's a, that is a, that is a game that we play uh, on this podcast, Olivia. That that uh, that uh, I'm sure April told you about is that I'm I'm pretty good at figuring out from people's accents where they are from, uh-huh. uh, and usually I can get within ten twelve miles of you know where where they were born that kind of thing. And so for you. I'm saying mm, Liverpool, England. What? <laughs> Is that not right? I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, you can see you can see where you know where I made that mistake, but but there's there's definitely something Liverpudlian going on with your with your accent. That was I was I was definitely hearing the Beatles uh, in there, so. I, I maintain that I am correct, and that okay. you have you have somehow been misinformed or misled. Have your origins. Yeah, that one always that one always just sort of shuts the podcast down. <laughs> I, I think I'm the only person who sees the humor in, in uh, completely misidentifying people's accents. But, no, it's great. But, uh, it's great. <laughs> God, God bless you, April. I really, I really appreciate that. I, I, I need that. I need that kind of support because uh, it kind of gets me down. It gets. <laughs> so, all right. Well, so uh, do, let me ask: Do you have? And maybe this is a maybe this is one of those questions that's unanswerable or that you you don't feel comfortable answering. But do you have a favorite cover? And we'll just limit ourselves to the. Uh, uh, to the uh, SFK SFK covers. Do you have one that that you felt was a was a was an ideal communion between you know theory uh, you know concept and and execution that that somehow you know a sublime achievement of your vision and the writer's vision and the publisher's vision. Hmm, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, I find myself like drifting back over and over again to American Judas. Okay. Because um, I think that was one. Uh, we, we just, we I, just spoke to Mickey earlier today. Oh, so, yeah. so we're, we're, we're in an American Judas kind of mood. Yeah. I, um, I don't know what it, I don't know exactly what it is about that one, but, but, but yes, I feel like that was one where the process worked completely like from beginning to end um the feedback loop was really good uh like the the design brief like did its job um yeah and everyone gave great feedback and 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 visually that's one that i that i drift back to over and over again because i i think it really um it's doing a lot of interesting things but it's not really in your face 
Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think it has a certain amount of subtlety to it. You have to look at it to really see what's going on. Um, so that's one right now. But um, I mean, I have, you know, I like I like elements of everything that I put forward. Um, Banshee of McCray is another one that I like look at every once in a while. And I was like, that's creepy. It's a creepy mm-hmm. that I did. Um, uh, and the curious case of men with wings. Um, just all of them have something that I look, look at and I really like it. And it changes. American Judas is the one right now that, that I'll drift to, but, but it when I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the cover right now and it, it's a, it's an American flag, a sort of tattered, almost like a battle flag or something like that. Uh, with the uh, with the star field down and to the left, and then a, a a crown of, well, I mean, you know, obviously you're meant to think of the crown of thorns, right? But it's a, actually a crown of barbed wire. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's a startling image. Well, I, I really do. I I I really very much hope that folks are uh, that folks are sort of you know accompanying us on on your website or on the SFK website looking at these at these covers this is one of those moments where i i regret that we are that there's no video component of what we're doing because it really is it's a striking image thank you uh i mean all of them i i was thinking also i was looking for like type something really typographic heavy the other day um with a concept and i really like amidst this fading light i went back went back to that one and I just love how the tight dwarfs the house that you may or may not see, like when you're first looking at that cover. Um, and uh, and a body's just as dead, which is fun. That was just a fun cover to put together with the neon and the dog in neon. It I was like, that's that's a really fun one. I go back to all of them. Um, but but yes, definitely. American Judas is at the top of the rotation for for whatever reason right now. Well, it sounds like satisfying work. Mm-hmm. It can be. It's like it's uh, it's tangible, and you can ch- and and uh, your opinion changes as the book ages. You can go back and you can learn from your own work, um, which which is so interesting. Um, my uh, my fiance is a musician. And one of the things he says that is slightly frustrating about that particular pursuit is that once you've played a song, like unless you're recording it, it's, it's gone. You've, you've done it and then it's out there. Um, and, uh, and that's just a very, that, that would be an interesting way to make art. And this is just happens to be the, the opposite. Um, you can always go back to it. And if you're like me and you are neurotic about your filing system, I can go back and look at the cover concepts that led up to these various covers. Um, so it's a, it is a really interesting, and even though it's, it's all digital now, um, there's like a, a tangibleness sure. to the process. Um, you can go back and see the process as it unfolded. Yeah, and it and it ends in a tangible object. It ends in an object that you can actually you know hold physically in your in your hands. And that's you know there's there's something about. I mean, I, I'm a uh, I'm an ebook fan. I you know I love being able to carry around you know a thousand books in my telephone. But um, telephone, I'm a million years old. 
but uh, uh, yeah, but but you know that said, the, you know the object of the book is really a you know is really a remarkable, really a remarkable thing. So, well, thank you, Olivia. I I, I really appreciate your your the detail with which you've you've taken us through how you how you achieve what you achieve. Yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> well, good. Well, so uh, we once again, your website is oliviamcroom.com, O-L-I-V-I-A-M-C-R-O-O-M.com to differentiate you from Olivia Croom DDS. Is that correct? Oh, shoot. I did the wrong thing. Okay. Um, we we do the wrong thing all the time. So welcome to my, the club. That was That's my old website address. Oh, okay. What's the oh, new website sorry. address? Don't uh, go there because that will be neither the dentist nor the designer. Whoever <laughs> is at Olivia M. Croom now is an imposter and should be ignored and shunned. Oh, no, that's terrible. So it's Design.com. com. O-L-I-V-I-A-C-R-O-O-M-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. Yes. Okay, and there they can go. And so if you've been looking at com <laughs> during this conversation and all those times that I told you to go there and look at that, you're probably wondering what, what exactly we've been talking about this whole time. So go to com. Do you have an old uh, or former Twitter handle or Instagram <laughs> that you would like to give out so that people can see what you used to do on Twitter? Uh, my, my Twitter handle is just at Olivia Croom. That one has not changed. Okay, all right. So that one's that one's the same, and they will not get the dentist if they if they tweet at that at that Correct. address. <laughs> okay, outstanding. Do you have? You must have an Instagram. Yes, I would think I that do. would be perfect for you. Uh, so my Instagram is reddish dot ampersand. <laughs> I'll spell it. <laughs> oh, so it's not even the symbol ampersand. It's literally you've written out this thing that is one elegant symbol. You have written out as like an eight letter word or yes. nine or 10. I, I don't know. On how many Instagram. Okay. All right. So I'm sorry. Say that again. Radish. Reddish. So R E D D I S H. Got it. Dot ampersand. Um, A M P E R S A N D. Ampersand. Reddish dot ampersand. Okay. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's actually way easier to remember than Olivia Croom, Olivia dot Croom or Olivia Croom Designs. I'm 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 glad we got that because the mnemonic for that is uh, is is great. Okay, are there other ways that people should get in touch with you or follow you or see your designs or anything else? Like, is there something been invented in the last? 24 hours that I don't know about. I've, I've just recently learned that Vine has gone away and I'm feeling a little tragic about that. Yeah, that's too bad. I'm, I might want to be of the, I might be one of the last, I might be one of the last five designers still on Ello, which was a thing for about 10 seconds. Really? Ello? And how, is that E-L-L-O? Yeah. I don't, honestly, I don't even know if it's running anymore, but I definitely have some designs. That are oh, okay. Well, definitely go. Yeah. After, right after you've gone to OliviaMCroom.com, go to Ello to see what Olivia used to do when she was a child. Uh, this is all kind of stuff, pictures of her mom's refrigerator and uh, just, just an unbelievable archive of, uh, of her, her antique work. Juvenilia. So, 
Great. Well, April, what are, what, what, how can people find, uh, find all the wonderful things that SFK is up to in these marvelous uh, .com things? Uh, well, the mothership, Southern Fried Karma, under which SFK lives, um, is um, southernfriedkarma.com. And actually, that, that site has just gotten a sort of facelift or a, a redo. I don't know if facelift sounds a little harsh. Um, but it's been redone to, to kind of suit the purposes because Southern Fried Karma is a multimedia company, right? So we have SFK, which is the press. We also have a bi-weekly zine. We also have this podcast. Um, we've got stuff going on. We have our YouTube channel. So if you go to southernfriedkarma.com, you'll actually be able to access everything else that I'm about to tell you in case you forget. Um, the press, SFK Press, is sfkpress.com. And you can see uh, Olivia's covers that she's done for us on that page, on that website as well. You can find us on Facebook uh, under Southern Fried Karma. And then on Twitter and Instagram, we are um, SFK underscore multimedia. And we have a YouTube channel, which we've had for a while, but now we're really uh, getting it going. And so there's sort of really cool, idiosyncratic videos, mostly hosted by our own Steve McCondishy, um, as he tells you what's coming up uh, in terms of authors, publications, events. So um, that is called Fugitive Views, the channel on YouTube. So if you uh, go there... Oh, I'll, go, I'll subscribe to that. Yes, please subscribe. And um, those videos also will come out, as does this podcast, with... Um, our newsletter, uh, bi-weekly newsletter. So if you subscribe to that, you'll get all of the above and more. So, um, so subscribe. Absolutely Please. subscribe. Everyone should subscribe. I'm shocked that there are people who have not yet subscribed given uh, the, the wealth of value that comes with that, with that, uh, that newsletter. It's just unbelievable. And it's all free. It's all free, and there's no string It's just Astonishing. every Wednesday. The 21st century is a miraculous time. No yeah. question about it. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you. This has been another edition of Fugitive Voices, a podcast about books and writers in the new millennium. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Fugitive Voices, a podcast about books and writers of the new millennium. See you again soon.